Hello and welcome to another episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am your ho- one of your hosts, Eric Spropolis. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Um, Corbin, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, Eric. Pretty good. Just recovering from the draft extravaganza that went down, but... You know, now we get time to settle and look back on, you know, everything that happened once the dust is settled. Exactly. We, we, by the time people are listening to this on Monday, um, there will be less than a week until free agency. And we know what happens, you know, that first July 1st through July 4th, those first couple days of free agency are usually chaos. Um, they might not be this year, depending on, you know, not as many teams have cap space and LeBron has to decide. And then maybe that affects Paul George. But I expect something, at least one or two crazy things will happen starting July 1st. Um, but we are not talking about free agency just yet. Um, we will be doing so next week. Um, we're still talking about the draft um, because a lot, a lot went down in this draft. Obviously, a lot of people were disappointed that no current players were actually traded. Um, there were a bunch of trades, but they only uh, included, you know, draft rights to a player or, or certain picks or, or stuff like that or future picks. Um, but you know, significant things went down, and probably the most significant aspect of this draft um, is this. Uh, Atlanta Hawks and Dallas Mavericks trade. Obviously, we, we knew DeAndre Ayton was going to be selected number one. We had known that for weeks, but we didn't see this coming. There were rumors, obviously, for the weeks leading up to the draft that teams like the Hawks and the Grizzlies um, and, you know, even the Kings potentially were all kind of shopping their pick. Um, you know, some of them we really believed and some of them we didn't believe, but it ended up being the Dallas Mavericks drafting from uh, trading up from five and trading a 2019 first-round pick that's protected one through five, so it's a very good chance that the Hawks will get that pick, um, to, to move up to three. And, and, and at three, they selected Luka Doncic, and at five, the Hawks got Trey Young. Um, and, and this, I think, will be the, the trade that kind of defines this draft. You know, when, when we talk about this draft five to ten years from now, we will compare Doncic versus Young just because they were in the trade together. And, you know, if the Mavs go on to be a perennial playoff team, you know, and look at Luka Doncic becomes a, you know, six-time All-Star and Trey Young, you know, is a good player but not a great player, we'll reflect on this draft through the lens of this trade. Um, and I think that there are a lot of aspects, a lot of interesting aspects, um, you know, from both perspectives. And I kind of want to talk about the Hawks side first because people, you know, and I think the Hawks were criticized for this trade in some ways, and, and I agree to an extent because I think that Luka Doncic was the number one guy for me in this draft, um, even though I think I, I think Jaron Jackson could actually end up being the best player, but we'll get to that later on. Um, you know, I think that if the Hawks, it, it seems like they didn't feel 100% confident, confident in Doncic, and it seemed like Trey Young was kind of their guy. And so I feel like from that perspective, if you're not 100% confident in Doncic and you want to get Trey Young... They did. They did pretty well in this trade. I mean, you know, they got they got Trey Young and they got this this first round pick that could, you know, if, if it's number six next year, they could they get it because it's only projected one through five. Now it could end up being pick nine, pick ten, but I think you know, barring any significant additions to the Mavericks roster, which again we will talk about a little bit later, the Mavericks are probably going to be a lottery team next year, which means the Hawks will get a lottery pick and they got Trey Young and 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 Trey Young wasn't the only move obviously they made or the only selection they made on draft night and that's why viewing this trade kind of as a lens of the Hawks entire draft night overall is important because they drafted Young they drafted this kid Kevin Horder from Maryland a great shooter kind of people are comparing them to the next you know the Steph Curry plus Clay Thompson 2.0 or Splash Brothers 2.0 you know they're not going to get to that level cuz Clay and Steph are all-time shooters and all-time players but you know they're they're trying to in, in what seems like everyone's opinion, they're trying to build the Warriors of the East. And their GM, Travis Schlenk, 
was the assistant GM for the Warriors before joining the Hawks. So he kind of had his hand in building the Splash Brothers and building the current Warriors team. So it kind of makes sense for him to kind of employ this this the system and this kind of scheme in Atlanta. So drafting young Hoarder, um, they got Amari Spellman at pick, uh, I think it was pick 30. Um, you know, viewing all those moves together kind of makes a little bit more sense of why they made this trade. But overall, it comes down, for the Hawks' perspective, in my opinion, is that they weren't 100% confident in Doncic. They really believed in Trey Young. They want to give him the keys to the offense. And they got to they gotta most likely be a lottery pick, maybe even a top 10 pick next year for doing so. And that's that's how I feel about this from the Hawks' perspective. And, I'll, you know, I'll let you elaborate on, you know, the Mavs' perspective or what you think about this move for the Hawks' perspective. I thought it was bold for the Hawks to even make that trade at 3 um, without really knowing Memphis doing at four, or at least having a gamble at four, that trade would still be on the board there. Um, I like it. I actually think it's kind of funny that the Hawks are, are trying to be the Warriors of the East after you know originally trying to be the Spurs of the East. So they keep going from one Western superpower to the other, you know, an emulation. But I think with the backcourt there, they have something to start with. You know, you do have a John Collins still as your big man, and yes, Trey Young and um, Clay, Tom, I mean Trey, Trey Young and and Kevin Herter aren't going to exactly be. They aren't going to be Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, but to even aim that high, I mean, you know, shoot for the moon, you reach a few stars. You know, we're going to take that analogy and use it here. That could still be a very good backcourt, and and still young. And for the Mavericks, I think it's going to take a little more depth than I'm going to say right now. But to get a player in Luka Doncic who I think will will mesh well with Dennis Smith Jr. because he'll have to be the primary playmaker. I think if it's more in his role as an as an alternative guy who can get them into their offense, create, you know, scoring off the dribble, um, depending on what the Mavericks do with their big man situation, because obviously they didn't get one here. But th- that's a significant piece to go along with Dennis Smith and you still have um you still have young players on the team that you can say, okay, if we're trying to look to the future and, and make a significant upgrade in wins we can at least look to that right now. So I thought it was, you know, for the Dallas Mavericks to go, hey, we're going to go and, and take Doncic and go from there. That That's gutsy right there for me. I thought it was really good. Yeah, and and I'll get to the Mavs in a second. I still have a couple more points. Oh, my Hawks. fault. Yeah. Well, no, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's good that you brought that up too because it kind of gave me other thoughts about the Mavs perspective. But for the yeah. Hawks, I think that you – no, know, I think it's not over for them in terms of, you know, their building blocks because right now, you know, all indications are that Dennis Schroeder is going to be out of there, you know, soon, you know, pretty quickly yeah. probably. Um, on a side note, it'll be very fascinating to see what – because Schroeder, you know, I think he's making around $15 million a year. Nice young player, but there have been rumors that he's not good in the locker room. He's pretty inefficient. You know, there, there are concerns about him as a player. His contract's not terrible, but it's not, also not cheap. So I, just as a side, I think I'd be – I'm really interested to see what that trade looks like. But you move Schroeder out for something decent or somewhat – you know, maybe another wing or something like that that can help him build um, or a draft pick or something like that. And you build around Trey Young. You build around Torian Prince, John Collins, Kevin Horder. You build around those guys with a lot of shooting. You play at a fast pace. Their new coach, Lloyd Pierce, pretty much, you know, helped run a, a really fast pace in Philadelphia with the Sixers. I, I see something here. And again, you know, trying to—it's funny you mentioned that they were the Spurs of the East because the Spurs were that were the, the team at top at the time, and the Warriors of the East because the Warriors are on top. You know, it's probably not going to work out, obviously, like that. But <laughs> I like emulating the model because one, the Warriors did it, have done it with a lot of success. But two, it's also just more of a modern way of playing in the NBA. A lot of spacing, a lot of switchable wings, bigs, etc. I, I see something here for the Hawks, and I, I think that. I, I, honestly, I still would have taken Doncic, but I do like what they did in terms of 
you know, getting their guy and then getting pieces around him and kind of they have a plan, which is nice. And and they didn't have a plan moving into this, you know, right before the draft. They didn't really have a plan, but now they do. Something for the fans to look forward to, something for the front office to build around. Um, and then for the Mavs, you know, they got their guy and they got the guy that many people had as number one in the draft, the guy who could be a complete stud moving forward. Um, and you know, say what you want about how much value that pick that has that they gave up to him. Again, you know, they could it could be the sixth pick next year, which is pretty high. But we don't know how good the draft class is going to be. It also could be the 14th pick. It could be the 12th pick. And we've seen a lot of lottery picks just flame out. So it's up to the Hawks now to use that pick wisely and actually draft a good player. Um, but Doncic instantly kind of forms this dynamic duo with Dennis Smith Jr. He has Dirk Nowitzki mentoring him for his rookie season, which will help other solid veterans there like J.J. Barrera to help him there. And, you know, I think Doncic is going to be awesome. And now the Mavs focus on getting a center. Or I shouldn't say center, just a big man because, you know, I don't want to put labels on positions really anymore. Um, obviously, <laughs> Clint Capella, DeMarcus Cousins, Julius Randle, those guys are going to be the top targets. And really what's interesting about this is, one, because, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of people had Mo Bamba, you know, going going at five to the Mavericks. Um, yep. And that would have pretty much, you know, most people assume would have taken the Mavericks out of that big man free agent market. So now that they're in this market, it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't think it'd be smart for them really to go after a guy like Cousins because, one, he doesn't really fit, you know, Doncic and Dennis Smith Jr. want to play in transition, want to run, and want to play faster pace. Cousins doesn't really flow with that, and he's also not age-wise not on their timeline. But definitely going after a guy like Clint Capella, Julius Randle. They're going to probably go after them. It's, it's it's it'll be interesting to see which one they prefer. Um, obviously two different you know two different type of players at at the five if they play them at the five, especially with Julius Randle, which I just a cheap plug. I did have an article on 94feetreport.com about Julius Randle. Um, you can check that it out as great. well. It was great. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I know you probably gobbled all that Julius Randle Lakers content. Up. Oh, you already know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other interesting thing, regardless of which player they should go after, and we, we can talk about that, is that the Mavericks themselves as a team are, are going to be probably the team that defines the free agency market for that big, quote-unquote, center position based on who they go after because not a lot of teams have money. So the Mavericks do get one guy that could, you know, the market will play out probably from the Mavericks on July 1st going after one of those young big men. Exactly, and I, I agree with you in that sense because I, I personally, if I was Dallas, I would say Clint Capella. If we're going big, just this is my own cheap opinion here thrown out because with the players you have now and then just to go briefly back on Doncic to the Mavericks you know you're 6'8 passing phenom you're 19 you're already a decorated star and you're going to a team that in many ways is just an excellent fit for you because you have a coach just an offensive wizard and Rick Carlisle who will make sure to get you in positions where you'll succeed to get you in places where you'll be the most effective and do the most damage um and it gives him a big ball handler who's just off the pick and roll is a Vaughn and that helps take pressure off of Dennis Smith, as I said. But also, you're learning from Wiley Vets on that team. You have a Dirk Nowitzki. You have a J.J. Beret. You have a Wesley Matthews that are still there. And to be to learn from that, and especially to go on a team that, if, if, if we know the last two seasons, haven't had a whole lot of wing creation. Harrison Barnes is really more of a play finisher, not really a play creator at any, during any stretch, by any stretch of imagination. And so by having Doncic there, you put Harrison Barnes back in his natural spot as a play finisher, which I think is his role. And so with those weapons there, yes, you do need, as you said, some type of big player, big person to kind of take the spot of Nowitzki eventually. He is coming back for another year, but you do want to have someone there. And I think having a rim roller like a Clint Capella that is young, kind of fits that timeline, you know, has just improved dramatically with the Rockets. And this is my own personal reservation, but how much that is by playing alongside such 
brilliant guards as James Harden and, and Chris Paul is yet to be determined if it is determined this free agency period. But you put that in the world right there, and I think that Dallas has have like Dallas has a custom fit roster with you know you have your point guard, you have your wing um, wing creator who can do something off the dribble and and bring just otherworldly passing skill from that end, and you have your big, and then that's when you slot pieces around that foundation, and that's when you have a potential championship level team. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree that Ca- uh, Capella would be the best fit for this Mavericks team, both age-wise, timeline-wise, and his, his game would just fit in because, again, he's he can defend the rim, get up for alley-oops, and also, you know, he, a player, players of his mold obviously rely on good creators, and while Doncic and Dennis Smith Jr. are nowhere near James Harden and Chris Paul, uh, they're pretty good playmakers, especially Doncic, so that Capella could feed off those playmakers. The only problem is that all indications seem that the Rockets would match any offer for Capella, and that that's the problem with this market is that Capella's restricted and Randall's restricted while Cousins is not. So they might be more inclined to, to throw an offer at Cousins that the Pelicans might not you know, want to offer, and that they don't have to match, but they might not just want to offer it themselves. Or they could say, you know, we really want Capella, we're going to give him the max, and you know, maybe the Rockets are really focused on something else, you know, hunting for bigger fish. Um, they could do the same with Julius Randle, depending on what the Lakers are looking for in terms of bigger fish landing in L.A., they could decide to match or not. Um, but I do agree that their number one target should be Clint Capella. I just don't think they, I don't think they'll end up getting him, but I think that the Rockets um, will match, because I don't think, one, I don't think guys like LeBron or Paul George or anyone else are going to Houston, so they're just going to match Capella and try and run back a similar team. But two, I don't think the Rockets really want to <laughs> give the, the Mavericks a, a key foundational pay, piece to their core. I mean, they're in the same division. They're division rivals. I don't think they want to do that. So they're going to match, I think, on Clint Capella, even if it's a max. Um, but I do, agree that, I do agree that the Mavs should offer Capella. And I, I, I don't hate this trade. For, I, I mean, I like this trade in some ways. I like it more for the Mavs because I think Doncic would be the better player. But I, I don't hate it for the Hawks. Um, and there was also an article on a uh, 94-feet report from Shyman, uh, Sharon Gordon, about Trey Young and the weird kind of mm-hmm. vibes and hate he got kind of as a player heading into the draft, so I would check that out as well. But overall, talking about this trade, my last thought is that I like it for both teams. I think I like it more for the Mavericks because they, they got the better player, but I like it for the Hawks that they got their guy to fit into this new scheme of trying to be the Warriors of the East, and they drafted uh, two other players that fit that mold, and they got a what could be a nice lottery pick next year. So I think I like this trade for both teams overall, even though the Hawks got a little bit more slack for it than the Mavericks did. It it is definitely interesting to see how we like it from certain perspectives, but for different reasons. Because as you said, and I'm right there with you, Dallas got the better player, but Atlanta not only has a player that fits what they're looking for, which although it may be different from the two of us is, is an actual direction moving forward that is progressive, but also that pick may come into play and be very significant next year. So for both teams, it's one of those, you know, we're right now at least for these early grades, we give both an A because, hey, they both made the trade that works for them. And, you know, as this time goes on and it manifests itself fully, then we'll see, okay, maybe Trey Young was better than we expected. Maybe Doncic just flopped. Maybe the pick is everything. Maybe the pick is nothing. But, yeah, as, as you said, right now, it worked for both. And, yeah, teams, they're both going in two different directions in a certain in a certain sense. But they made the trade that benefited their team moving forward. And that, you know, as an NBA fan, you got to love trades like that. Exactly. It's a fascinating move. That, again, what I said earlier, I think it will kind of be the trade that defines this draft. Um, and the second thing that could define this draft is Michael Porter Jr. falling to 14 for the Denver Nuggets. Um, this was a guy who, you know, coming into Missouri was a you know a top three prospect, if not the number one overall prospect heading into the college season. Of course, he gets injured pretty much right away. He doesn't play. Basically, I think he played three games, like 50 total minutes or something like that. Um, stats were terrible, but pretty much meaningless. And even then, 
up until the couple of days before the draft, people were still thinking that the Kings could draft him at two, or he would go top five, or there was that report that the Sixers were trying to package 10 and Mark Fultz to move up into the top five to draft Michael Porter Jr. And then on, uh, I think ESPN's mock draft, the day of the draft, had him definitely going in the top eight. And then, you know, the drafts I'm playing out, you know, they got this crazy Mavs-Hawks trade. You know, other picks are going down as kind of expected for the most part, and we'll get into some of those picks later. And then no one takes them. Teams like the Clippers, who had 12 and 13, don't take a flyer on Michael Porter Jr. The Hornets, a team that is starving for potential star talent, don't take a swing on Michael Porter Jr., which I think is a mistake. And he falls to Denver at 14. And I think if you're the Nuggets, you have to make this pick, and they obviously did. And they are the perfect team to make this selection for Michael Porter Jr. because they're going to be a team that's most likely going to make the playoffs anyways next season, regardless of if he plays or not, because there are rumors of him potentially doing a redshirt season and taking a year off just to make sure he's fully healthy. Um, and the Nuggets are deep enough to not rush him at all. Wilson Chandler picked up his player option, um, so he he could still start at small forward. Um, they bring back Will Barton. They have some extra wing depth. Obviously, they got their you know other key pieces, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, Paul Millsap, etc. Um, and then if Michael Porter Jr. does realize his potential, I mean, they could have one of the best offenses of in NBA history. I mean, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris. Michael Porter Jr. and Jokic on the same team. I'm, I'm assuming Millsap will be gone pretty much when this team hits their prime. Um, those four players are just dynamic offensive talents that could, that could fit really well. And I think that, you know, while they're still not going to be a good defensive team, they'll probably be a pretty bad defensive team. They're going to be really fun to watch, and they're going to have one of the best offenses ever. Um, and, and the other thing with Michael Porter Jr. is that he could either be the small forward of the future or he could slot into that power forward role you know, next season, um, you know, if Denver declines Paul Millsap's team option, which they might because he's going to be like 33 and making $30 million, um, he could be the power forward starting 2019-2020 season, which unlocks a little bit more floor spacing, allows him to attack other power forwards. Um, the Nuggets can create cap space in the summer of 2019 to add to this team. Um, ultimately, I just feel like at pick 14, you know, what are you really going to get? Like in the grand – and there was um, – I think it was Kevin Pelton. Someone on Twitter like did an analysis of, of the – past like 10 or 20 14th picks and you know three of them turn out to be like above average players and you know some were just like eight or eight or nine eighth or ninth men or some just flamed out completely like why not take a chance on a potential star especially when you're a team like the Nuggets that can afford to rest them or get him recovered for a full year if not you know maybe even half the year or something like that and still make a playoff run still have Jokic Gary Harris Jamal Murray all 23 and younger um some cap space summer 2019 good veteran Paul Millsap exciting team I just feel like that you just had to take take this pick with Michael Porter Jr. and sure it could flame out he could not play or he could play like two or three years and just his back could completely fall apart but if you're the Nuggets you, you take this risk because you can afford you can afford for Michael Porter Jr. to not work out I agree and with a team like that as you you already kind of covered all the main points which is crazy because that's what happens I'm when I go on my rambles you know <laughs> you're, you know what you're well versed in it. it's great because you cover nothing is unturned and that's great because I second all that in the sense that you have the opportunity with Michael Porter Jr. where it's almost low-risk, high-reward. Because, yeah, he drafted 14, but he, he could have went as high as, what, 5, 6, 7, you know, in, in that in the top four most certainly, top five, that sort of range. And you have a player where, hey, you know, we have just a great young team coming back. They could have made the playoffs and probably should have this year already. And this is a very young core, as you said. A savant out the big man position with passing with Jokic. You have great finishers, great attackers, great shooters in Jamal Murray and Gary Harris. Wilson Chandler will be back another year. We'll see um, Will Barton. But Michael Porter has the time to really learn 
from a team that's that's it's almost a team of young veterans in that sense because they've been around for two, three, four years now, and you know they have playoff aspirations. You get a chance to nurse Michael Porter back to health. He feels confident that he's going to get back there. We'll see how that goes. But when he is healthy, and you already mentioned this with Paul Millsap and we know where he stands moving forward. As you said, thirty-three million and thirty-three years old. Not really great math, and um, this comes from someone who's not a math person, but. You put Michael Porter in there, you have a versatile, flexible lineup, at least one through four. With Jokic, who you, you really going to have to go and target repeatedly to play him off the floor. Offensively, I don't see how you even match up with that because there's so many weapons from all over the court. They can all shoot. They can all be playmakers. They can all pass. And honestly, I, I like I said, Denver was just very, very fortunate to have him slip to 14 because I really, really thought and hoped that the Knicks would take him. Only because they desperately need a wing. You get a wing with some star potential. And we're going to talk about this a little later on. But Kevin Knotts? No. But back to the Nuggets. Um, it's it's just a great low-risk, high-reward pick at number 14. And yes, the fact that he slipped might have stunned some. He himself said he was kind of shocked that teams didn't really, I don't know, take his word for it. That he was, you know, on the mend. But when he's healthy and back in and you have this team that you have now with all the weapons at their disposal, Denver could be a scary team in the West. Yeah, and and you know, like sure, like he doesn't, he's not going to help the defensive issues because he's never been regarded as a as a yeah. good defender. Even though he has the physical tools to do it, they, there's probably going to end up, you know, he's probably just going to be a, a great offensive player, poor defensive player, and that's not great for an Nuggets team that already is poor defensively. And sure, he could also not mesh well in terms of t- you know having the ball in his hands too much, kind of you know putting blinders on and not really creating for others. But I think that. Him playing alongside Jokic, who obviously loves to pass and is a great passer, and he's seen guys like, and he'll he'll see guys like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris that like to cut off of Jokic, off of Millsap, and get to the rim and get their own stuff. If he can buy, if he can buy buy into this offensive system in terms of ball movement, the bigs passing, and not only the guards having the ball in their hands, cutting off ball, catch and shoot, and stuff like that, and he realizes potential and stays healthy. This could be very, very deadly, and that's just it's a perfect pick for the Nuggets, and they obviously got lucky to, to that he fell, but. I just think that, and we could talk about this a little bit later um, in, our, in the next kind of segment or topic, but a teams like the Hornets or the Clippers, you know, the Clippers had two lottery picks, and they didn't take a swing on a guy who could be a star. Uh, the Hornets, you know, they got a nice player, but I just feel like they need stars, especially with they're going to – Kemba Walker's going to be gone, almost guaranteed pretty much. There's this, these mid-market teams that are kind of stuck in mediocrity, they could have swung for Michael Porter Jr. Sure, it could blow up in you know their face, and Mitch Kupchak was in his first year with the Hornets, so maybe he didn't want to do that. But the fact that he could turn into a star, it's it's something you have to do, and, and the Nuggets are the perfect team to take that swing because even if they swing and miss, they still got a great young core that they can still add to in summer of 2019 and be a perennial playoff team. And if they do hit on this pick, I mean, they could be a top three seed in the West you know, for – years to come if Michael Porter Jr. you know realizes his full potential but um, let's move on to uh, picks we liked and picks we didn't like so we can talk about a little bit more of the of a couple of picks especially some lottery picks that are interesting and and because I feel like I've been rambling for so long I'll get I'll let you get started with the first pick that you liked okay <laughs> I appreciate you <laughs> all right so I'm <laughs> I'll start with uh, the number one pick the safe pick DeAndre Ayton to the Suns I I've been talking about this you know been not arguing, but we, we, us at the 94 Feet Report have had very spirited conversations about DeAndre Ayton and whether he deserved to be number one and almost his fit. Because on the one hand, you know, his offensive game is ever-growing. He has a, a sneaky good perimeter game that I like. Um, just that jump shot from the free throw line that he's been working out to the three-point line. Um, a great, 
great transition terror. Um, finishing, I think he's going to fit well in Phoenix. Defensively, his motor and just how that goes is where most of the knocks on him have been, and I'm not one to argue that because it's pretty obvious. But um, I think it's a great pick. I think in Phoenix you have a, a big man who immediately is the best big man they have in Phoenix, and they've already drafted several that have turned out a little less than expected in Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender. So you come and you bring him in. Um, forget what he said that I'm all in on as far as um, him and Devin Booker being Shaq and Kobe 2.0. As a Lakers fan, you got to love it, especially when you live in Arizona and you don't have a vested interest in the Phoenix Suns, but you kind of want to see a good product if you want to watch a game. But um, you're learning from a veteran, Tyson Chandler, and this is DeAndre Aiden I'm talking about, who has been a proven veteran, um, great defender. I think he can learn from that. I think Tyson Chandler will push him there. He's obviously a respected leader, so you have that rubbing off. On the offensive end, you have Devin Booker with you. You have a Josh Jackson. TJ Warren is still there. Um, Mikel Bridges. Um, Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender. For all of their uh, flaws and follies that they've had and have done, they could still stretch the floor. They're still decent finishers. And I think that puts them in a ready role with his just out of, the, I think, extreme potential and upside that he could be a franchise cornerstone type big man. And that's especially important in my eyes in this type of NBA where, let's, let's face it, big man's kind of dying in the traditional sense. And offense, obviously, is where he makes his money. He shot 34% from three in college. That's obviously an important skill to have in this modern NBA. He'll be able to set screens and go off a screen for the pick and pop or the pick and roll, use athleticism to roll to the rim, scare that defense. With someone like Devin Booker, who's just been – steadily improving the offensive game and he already came in largely marked as a shooter, I think that's scary. And with the team they have right now, I think they got DeAndre Aiden. That's the best possible big man to complement their skill set and especially to complement that of their best player, Devin Booker. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that Aiden will fit well in Phoenix and I like the fit and I kind of understand their, their thinking about drafting him. You know, you know, Shaq and Kobe 2.0, having that having that guard slash wing creator in Booker and having that dominant big man obviously is a kind of a traditional way to build a team. Um, and listen, Aiton on the offensive end, he's going to be a monster, especially if he can hit that three at a decent rate and attempt enough where, you know, defenses have to respect him out there. Obviously, he's got a plethora of post moves. He's obviously physically overwhelming. Like, I, I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to be a 20 and 10 guy pretty much. The, the real question with him is, is the defensive side, obviously, as you mentioned. There are a lot of concerns about his motor, his defensive instincts. We'll see if Tyson Chandler can help him do that, see if, you know, his, just his motor improves, um, if he can do that. Um, plays in a different scheme. Obviously, there were questions about his scheme playing in Arizona, um, playing out of position, things like that. Things, All those things can change, and, and he could become a, a decent defender, and then you know, couple that, pair that with an incredible offensive game, and you got a great player, and I understand that fit. Um, and this is not really about Aiton, but it is interesting, you know, with Mikael Bridges there. I do wonder about uh, T.J. Warren's future, and this is obviously just speculation. I mean, Josh Jackson's a wing, and Mikael Bridges is a, is a high-prospect wing. T.J. Warren's a de- decent contract, but you know, again, he can't he can't space the floor. He can only really hit that mid range mid range game. He's probably not going to start. I think they'll probably prefer Mikael Bridges to just a more natural fit at the three, especially if they move Josh Jackson to the four or something like that. Just some mm-hmm. speculation, but again, like Dennis Schroeder, this draft could have impacts on the trade market in terms of July. You know, we we might not see as many crazy crazy free agency signings, but we might see a lot of different trades in July um, that could impact teams and how they can sign free agents. Um, so I oh, TJ, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, when you robbed TJ Warren, yeah, you bring in, in, in Mikael Bridges and just going aside for a minute, he's the prototypical 3 and D wing. And TJ Warren, 
you know, doesn't bring a defense and doesn't bring a three-point shot. Um, shooting 28% from three in his career, 28.3% for three in his career. And the last two seasons has actually regressed. He hit 40% on fairly low number in 2015 with the Suns. That dropped to 26% in 2016, and then 22% the year after that. So, uh, yeah, you know, he could be packing his bags out the sunny state of Arizona here. Yeah, and uh, T.J. Warren's kind of a, a wing that's built for, like, the 1990s or early 2000s. Like, it, it's a weird game to have as a wing in today's NBA, but he, he can still produce The Knicks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 90s Knicks, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm gonna, okay, so I'll get to my pick that I liked, and, and this is a prospect that, you know, if you listen to me before the draft, if you listen to me on, on our 94 Feet Report draft special show, Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, yep. I mean, I think I I just placed my order for a Grizzlies Jaron Jackson Jr. jersey because I think he's my I think he's my favorite prospect in this draft, and it's really because he's what you want in a modern big now. He can space the floor, can hit the three pretty well. He can switch on the perimeter, um, which kind of distinguishes him a little bit more from DeAndre Ayton. Um, and of course, he can defend the rim. A prolific shot blocker, great you know athlete, great reach, etc. And the thing about this is that it was interesting because at first he was kind of against being drafted by the Grizzlies, but I think on draft night there was that report that he got comfortable with it, so he gave them all the information, like medicals and stuff like that, to the Grizzlies. And, you know, he gets drafted at four, and, you know, they obviously have Marcus Gasol there for another two years under contract. There obviously have been the reports that they're looking to come back to winning ways, you know, playoff contention next year. So pretty much he's probably going to play power forward and start at power forward to start his career. Um and then probably move to full, full-time to center once Gasol's gone in two years. I don't think they're going to try and re-sign him. He'll be, I think, 34, 35 at that point. And he's been declining. You know, he declined rapidly last year. So we'll see if he still declines moving forward. Um, but that's, that, that's a little bit of a concern because I think that in today's NBA, Jaron Jackson Jr. should be a center. I mean, we might not see that full-time for another two years. But he, he has enough floor spacing and enough switchability. And, you know, Gasol can space the floor himself that he could work at power forward. And also it would be interesting if they use him as the backup center. So he starts the game at power forward, gets taken off early for like a Jermichael Green. And then when Gasol gets subbed off, Jaron Jackson Jr. comes in as the center. Again, I think that's the way to kind of exploit all his talents as that modern big, which is why I love him so much. Um, and then, you know, side piece is that I, I kind of love the, the Javon Carter pick um, for the Grizzlies in the second round um, from West Virginia. He's a tough defender. And, I, you know, a lot of people were saying that he can kind of bring back some of that grit and grind, which, again, some people thought it was time they move on from that. But it always never hurts to have a, a tough perimeter defender to guard opposing point guards like a Patrick Beverly or something like that. So I thought the Grizzlies did well in the draft, headlined by my favorite prospect in the draft, Jaron Jackson Jr. I'm with it. And I, you know what? I think it's a great fit. As he's only 18, um, he kind of falls in that project umbrella, but has you know just numerous immeasurable upside. Um, and that that's great. He's a defensive ace. He has shooting range, 6'11". Um, there's been some player comparisons to Serge Ibaka. Obviously, I think, and I think you agree with me that he can be better than Serge Ibaka, but mm-hmm. that's not a, a bad player comparison for someone that's 18. You know, as a rough sort of um, player comparison. And in Memphis, yes, I think although Marcus Hall has been declining rapidly and, and I think obviously only continue to do so, that wasn't just aberration. That's that's the new Marcus Hall people. He still has much to give as far as teaching is concerned, you know, learning. He's never been the fastest of foot. Jaron Jackson will have Marcus Hall beaten both, but yeah, Marcus Hall has been a defensive player of the year conversation type player for the last three or four years. Not the last three or four years, but let's say four or five. There we go. Um just in the talks. So maybe it's talking about learning how, okay, this is how you cuff angles. This is where you come with the help. Just different, just veteran savvy that you're not going to pick up from other players. 
I think Jaron Jackson will benefit greatly from with Marcus Saul. As far as fit and where he's playing at, in my opinion, it's not that big a deal because Memphis, unless I'm missing something, won't be contending next year or really in the conversation for that. So I think you roll out the best team, the best you know lineup that you can. You fit Jaron Jackson in that starting lineup because I think he deserves to be there, and you kind of go from there. But I'm very much with you. That's that's a very good pick for them. Um, I think it's a place where he'll be able to flourish moving forward, and it's also in a role where he can be a successor and kind of grow into that spot for years to come. And uh, just to mention, Marcus O actually won Defensive Player of the Year in 2012-2013. Ah! Uh, so you were right. He was definitely Thanks. in the conversation. He ended up obviously winning <laughs> it one year. Um, but, yeah, he was regarded as – I mean, obviously 2012-2013 kind of was that five years from, from today. Um, yeah, this year, I got to with Noah. <laughs> <laughs> Joke him, Noah. Exactly. I don't know why. <laughs> um, yeah, but, I mean, he still have those defensive instincts, obviously declined yeah. physically, but, you know, he can still, you know, kind of influence um, – Jaron Jackson Jr. in that way. So, what's your next pick that you liked? All right. Well, you know what? Maybe it's because I'm just here, but I'm gonna pick another Arizona Phoenix Suns pick. Um, we already talked about a little bit, but a little bit, but Mikel Bridges. Um, I think the Suns obviously are showing that hey, the timeline is now. And you know, Ryan McDonough did say that they were gonna be a lot more aggressive in general. I didn't know that meant just in the draft, but here they are. They traded away that unprotected first round pick in 2021, which is one of the best trade assets in the league, probably, to move up six picks to grab Bridges. Um, you know, as I already said, prototypical pure 3 and D guy. His ability to defend either backcourt position and maybe even swing up to the three makes him an excellent complement to Devin Booker, who, you know, for all his strengths, he is not a defensive player. So to have somebody he can play alongside with is just going to be very strong. And we can't forget that Josh Jackson is also a, a pretty good defensive player. So to have a Devin Booker there and to have um, to be flanked by Bridges and Josh Jackson on the perimeter, you're not going to be a lockdown <laughs> perimeter defense, but at least you're not a sieve on that end. Um, also, the fact that he's been really working at Villanova all four years, just growing into one of the best shooters in this draft, I think he's going to be thriving, spotting up next to, or spotting up off of Aiton, off of Booker, you know, pick and rolls, picks and pops, look to the weak side, there he is, and he's really been an accomplished shooter. But more so the fact that he's just that pesky, gritty, in-your-face kind of defender. Um, not really the strongest, but with that 7-1 wingspan can really smother those opposing ball handlers. Um, the one weakness I see maybe is just creating his own shot, but I think that there's enough shot creation right now in Phoenix that he can kind of grow into that role. We can't forget that Brandon Knight's still there. Um, you do have Josh Jackson, who really came off strong at the end of the year. TJ Warren, until he's gone, is there. There's enough shot creation that at this point, I think they just Phoenix needs to find a, a point guard that can probably just focus on feeding the ball since he won't be creating a shot himself. But to have someone that can knock down a three based off the gravity that Booker and Aiden will create and on the other hand really play above average defense is the perfect pick for Phoenix. Wow, Brandon Knight. You want to talk about a forgotten player in this league? <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Uh, I kind of feel bad for him. Um, but uh, he's I, making like $14 million a year, so it's kind of hard. Yeah, bad for him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I also remember, like, if, you know, if he comes back strong, he's still someone that, let's not forget, he was playing really good. You know, I mean, it, from Milwaukee to Phoenix, and then he kind of just disappeared there. But I feel that was partially the situation. But he's also a guard, still just 27, that would be able to create his own shot. Shot, you know, above average from three, really good shooter. I think that's something that we have to take into account as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely in terms of creation and, and kind of playmaking. Um, yeah, I agree with you. We already kind of talked about it. Uh, perfect 3 and D mold. Again, it's interesting to see what they do with TJ Warren because I just, I just don't think they really need him anymore. And his skill set is just kind of going 
backwards in terms of what the modern NBA is in terms of for wings. Um, but I, and this is and again this this trade we talked about the Mavs Hawks trade being the trade that defines this draft. Well, this trade I think is is right up there because we get to you know we get to that 2020 2021 season and the Heat. Of course, the Heat are a team that you know could attract free agents and be good or based on their salary cap and how kind of average their team is right now, um, they could be really bad in 2021. Um, and we get to that, we can get to that season and, and you know, we see the Heat are like a bottom five team and we go, oh, well, the Sixers had that, I mean, the 76, I mean, the Suns, God, I can't <laughs> choose the Suns had that pick. I can't talk, we're good. And then <laughs> the Suns had that pick and oh, well, they traded it to move up six spots for a nice role player. Obviously, I'm not saying that's what um, Mikael Bridges is going to be, but there is a potential, obviously, with any of these players. Um, that you get into kind of the mid lotteries that they could just be nice three and D role players that aren't worth giving up that 2021 pick to move up six spots. Again, the Heat could be good. This pick could be basically meaningless, and they got their guy that could fit in that should fit in really well as a three and D guy, providing that much needed defense. Uh, but again, this trade will be interesting to watch in the years to come and how we kind of define this draft moving forward. Um, I'm going to get to my next pick, and you know I'm looking at my list of the picks that I like, and I realize that. It's weird that I have a thing for big men in this in this draft, and because obviously the modern NBA kind of favors the perimeter players. But Mo Bamba to the Magic um, is an interesting one. Obviously, I think I think that all the mock drafts and all the people expected them to draft Trey Young, but I don't think people expected the Hawks to fall in love with him so much to draft him that earlier in the draft. So they get Mo Bamba, and you know it feels like <laughs> this is not nice, but it feels like ma- the Magic are where <laughs> prospects go to die. But oh, no. <laughs> but I like I like what they're doing here, kind of going all in on the length and wingspan of the players. You know the, these these lengthy you know Jonathan Isaacs and Mo Bambas, and they had Aaron Gordon. I mean, can you imagine this lineup of you know I'm not sure they all play on on the same at the on the floor at the same time of, of Isaac. Aaron Gordon, who's going to be a restricted free agent, so we don't know exactly if he's going to be back, and Mo Bamba. If you imagine all those three players on the floor at once, can you imagine them on the defensive end with a coach like Steve Clifford? I mean, they're going to be locking people down. And, and Mo Bamba is, is obviously a transcendent, potentially transcendent defensive player, great shot blocker, great defending the rim. He has capability to switch on the perimeter, which is important. He has a nice-looking jump shot that could space the floor a little bit and continue to build out there to three-point land, which is, again, as you mentioned earlier, important for bigs to do in today's NBA. Um, I, I just like what they're doing here. Obviously, John Hammond, the new GM, came from Milwaukee, and their whole thing was dra- you know, drafting the lengthy kind of wingspan players like Giannis and Chris Middleton and everything like that. Um, I, I like what they're doing. They, they just they have an idea, and this is exactly what I was talking about with the Hawks. Like They have a plan or, or you know, on the surface. I'm not sure. What, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But on the surface, they have a plan of, of what kind of players they want and what kind of system they want. they want. The Hawks kind of want Warriors of the East, and the Magic are looking for, you know, we want length. We want... Uh, wingspan. We want these weird kind of, you know, switchable defenders that are going to mess people up, you know, in the passing lanes. They're going to defend the rim. They're going to block shots even from the small forward position. They're going to, you know, Isaac can handle the ball a little bit and see what you can do creation-wise there. They're going for these weird lengthy wingspan lineups, which, which I like in today's NBA. It's, you know, as I said in the last episode, it's time. The new NBA slogan has got to be the NBA, let's get weird, because we, we I want to see more of these weird kind of teams building around these players. Um, obviously, they need a couple more pieces, especially on the perimeter. My, don't don't even ask me who the Magic uh, backcourt is right now. Um, but I think Bamba can be the center of their future and can be brought along, you know, a little bit slower with, with Nikola uh, Vucevic still there, um, because obviously he's still a very capable player. Forget about Biombo, that guy is dead money. Um, but you know, Bamba doesn't have to be rushed into it. I, I think they have to give him a lot of opportunities, especially you know, with with Jonathan Isaac, because those two are those weird lengthy wingspan players. Um, 
they figure out they get a piece in the perimeter. They got their big man. They've got their kind of wing slash front court partner in Jonathan Isaac. Maybe they bring back Aaron Gordon for a reduced rate or something like that. And he's another capable guy who can score, create. Obviously, he's a highlight package. I, I like some of the pieces here. Just give them a, a nice backcourt piece. I'm not sure where that comes from, whether in a future draft or acquiring a young asset in a trade or something like that. But I, I like what they're doing in terms of getting Bamba for their the, the front court and solidifying that with Jonathan Isaac and potentially Aaron Gordon. I'm with you. And it's, it's such a John Hammond move, you know, <laughs> we're just getting these long lengthy athletes to just choke lanes and, and finish in transition, hopefully, and just kind of be a terror on the floor. And, you know, the record of, of it working has been rather spotty, but you know, for every Chris Middleton, he's at a John Henson, but John Henson is still a serviceable player. And, I think it's a great pick to fit along, as you already mentioned. It, that could be a defensive just nightmare. And, again, a good fit. And, as you said, bringing Mobamba along. This team, you know, right now there are absolutely zero expectation. You know, we're kind of going from the ground up at this point yet again. Um, but you have a coach in Steve Clifford who will get the most out of Bamba, you know, at his position there, um, just being a defensive threat. And I think it's it's a great place for him to go where, hey, he'll get the minutes. Hopefully, you know, if if the Magic uh, makes some good decisions as far as getting rid of some of that extra flotsam they have at in the big man area. But um, I think it's a safe call. And I, I think that it'll, it'll, if he if Mobamba continues to to work and build, you know, his legs and get stronger in that area um, and flesh out, this is the perfect grounds for him to continue to grow and, be, and improve as a player. Exactly, and that, that's what the, that's what my thinking is here. Obviously, as you said, it's been spotty kind of going after this kind of these kind of players, but. You know, Bamba, I think at six, if their guy, Trey Young, wasn't on the board, I, I just think that they take their guy. Obviously, they like players like Mo Bamba, and I think that Mo Bamba has a lot of potential, especially on the defensive end. He could be a perennial defensive player of the year candidate. You add him to Isaac, you add him to Gordon if he returns, and you figure out a backcourt piece, and I think you've got enough pieces for a core here. And Steve Clifford may not be the coach when this team hits their prime, but he can be the coach that implements strong locker room culture, strong technique, strong, you know, just a nice influence on these young players. So that's why I like the pick of Mo Bamba to Orlando. I'm with you, man. And I'm going to share my last one here real quick. I don't have too much to say, only because I will not give Alex West of the 94 Feet Report too much credit and too much love here. But um, for the Celtics to draft Texas AMM AM big man Robert Williams, 27th overall, I think that could be the steal of the draft, if not already. Um, just super athletic. One of the guys who can throw down just rocking gems on one end and still be a threat on the defensive end and send shots back on that side. Um you know, he's projected to be a lottery pick in most mock drafts. Um, I don't think very few had him going later than 20, but, you know, there were concerns about his maturity and his commitment. However, for a player such as Williams, yes, that maturity issue could be, you know, it could be nothing, could be everything. He could be fine. He could be Andrew Bynum. But to go to a team where, I mean, it's basically the church of Brad Stevens, I think it's just the best situation. You have respected vets. You have Al Horford there. You have a Gordon Hayward there. And I'm all about veteran leadership. I think you surround him with good players and respected vets is no longer an issue. And if it's not an issue, then what do we have? A defensive-minded, um, almost elite rebounding big man. Great athlete, defend a lot of styles. Could he be a- another Clint Capella in that sense? He's just uber-athletic 6'9". Stay in front of some point guards. You know, he's not the most skilled in offense, but trust me, with all the creators that Boston has right now, as long as you catch a lob and you have semi-soft hands, I think you'll fit in perfectly. And for a player like him to fall as far as he did to be able to be picked up by Boston as a lottery level talent 
it's crazy to me. I, I don't know how they pulled that off, but I think that's incredible value for Boston. Yeah, I agree. I don't have too much to add because you know everyone's kind of been praising them, and you pretty much hit on everything about. It's weird how he slipped. Obviously, the the character kind of maturity concerns, but even then, I mean, there are teams that. You know, Clippers had two picks in the lottery. The Bulls had, you know, two picks before the South Day. I mean, someone not taking a chance on him could bite them in the future, and we'll have to see. Maybe it doesn't work out, but I think that he's in a nice culture, and he's not going to be relied upon too much right away, at least on the offensive end, of course. Um, where could he, he can fit in and no. progress uh, nicely. What were you going to say? I wanted to ask you. Yeah, my fault. I was going to say, do you think he could be, like, the Jordan-level pick for the Warriors for the Celtics? And obviously not in the way that they were acquired, but just that – like making a the rich get richer type impact yeah no i definitely think so and i mean i think a lot of people even said that on draft night that this kind of you know obviously celtics didn't buy it by the second round pick like the warriors did in, uh last year celtics just had their own the, the number one pick, uh 27 pick um and he just fell to them but that kind of feeling of how did this guy who everyone had projected higher and everyone thought could contribute right away, how did he fall to this this team, basically? Um, and, you know, there were reasons why Williams fell, but again, you know, you could put him in a strong culture, a strong veteran leadership where he's not going to be dependent on too much with a strong coach. I think it works out perfectly for the Celtics, and I think it works out best for Williams himself as a player as he continues to develop. Um, and so before we get to picks we didn't like, I'll quickly share my last one. Another big man, Wendell Carter Jr. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like this. I just like this pairing of him and Laurie Markin in the in the front court. I mean, Wendell Carter is very athletic, very good passer from the big man position, and he can space the floor a bit. And of course, Markin is a great shooter from the big position as well. So you have two floor spacers in the front court, which is very good for, in my opinion, for the modern NBA. Um, very athletic. Um, I think it's a very intriguing duo, and I think they are going to fit well together, especially on the offensive end. Um, and now it's really up to the Bills to kind of figure out the backcourt and figure out figure out their wings. I mean, they don't have a, a small forward on the roster, pretty much. Um, <laughs> obviously, Zach Levine, restricted free agent. You know, there haven't been too many reports about their interest in matching stuff for him, um, depending on if it. But again, I don't think there's going to be many teams that even are going to offer uh, uh, Zach Levine a lot of money, so they might not have to be pressed to. You know, you match a big offer. Um, you bring back Zach Levine, who again, I'm not really sold on him as actually being a, a real key piece of a of a winning core. But he's a nice piece to have in your young core with Markkinen and Wendell Carter Jr. But really, this pick is all about Wendell Carter Jr. being a great passer, which is going to be good for their offense. Can unlock a little bit more things and more creativity. And the fact that he can space the floor alongside another floor spacer in Markkinen, I think, is an intriguing modern NBA front court, which is why um, I like Wendell Carter to the Bulls. And unfortunately, we have to get a little bit negative now. So uh, I'll let you do that first with the first pick that you didn't like. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Kevin Knox for for the Knicks. I think that the Knicks should have made point guard a priority in a draft that had plenty of them. Um, Kevin Knox is the youngest player in the draft. He's proven they can be productive at the college level. Um, and that is worth saying something. However, when you're a team like the Knicks who – you know, you're, you're, you know, he's not a big concern right now, but you're obviously thinking about making Porzingis happy in the future because he could be yet another star young player who, who keeps it moving. And I think to get a Kevin Knox who is okay, but at number nine, I, I, I don't know if, if, if that's where I'd go. Um, great shooter on a team that honestly, let's be real, didn't have a lot of shooting there. Um, in college, if he works well, he can be the piece that the Knicks need, but I don't see anything elite out of that. You know, I mean, he can be a little bit of everything, which I guess is okay. But in my eyes, it was rather limited at most. And I didn't do the best of scouting. But after 
I saw the pick and looked up some numbers on him, and I saw, okay, good shooter. But, you know, to be slotted in at small forward starting there, that's almost throwing him into the fire. And I think that at 18 and where he's playing right now, 6'9", great piece there. I like that. But just kind of young and, and not really a whole lot that – I don't know. And playing-wise, he almost reminds me of – and, and, and t- don't take the wrong way, not athleticism-wise, but almost like a Wesley Johnson in that type of – you could slide him and he could play. He's a shooter, but – there's so many other things that it's like either mad to know he's not good at, in my opinion, that it's like for number nine, I'm, I'm just not sold on it. You have to kind of make me feel a little better about that. Maybe you can have a more measured view than me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> because at nine, I mean, both of the bridges were still on board, and I think I, I like both of them better as better prospects than Knox. Um, and, you know, maybe they saw something a little bit more that Knox can do for himself in terms of not having to rely on others, but... I mean, Miles Bridges and, and McCall, we already talked about the both of them, especially McCall and the Suns, perfect 3 and D prospect that could flourish in that kind of Knicks slot right in as a small forward. Obviously, small forward's a huge need for the Knicks. Um, yeah, I mean, most people didn't have – I mean, Knox rose quick – like. Uh, Knox rose quickly on the boards kind of leading up to the draft in that week or so before but before that and even leading up to the draft a lot of people had him in the in the past the lottery like mid-teens early 20s or something like that it's to see him at nine is just confusing when there I think there are other better small forward prospects still on the board but again you know when we talk about picks we don't like it often comes down to teams that are just run poorly um and that's where i get back and that's where i get my first pick i didn't like marvin bagley to the kings um obviously the number two overall pick and it's it's the kings that's what that's all that's really what i'm gonna say i mean if vladi divek having a press conference after the draft saying that quote they're a young super team and he also said that bagley can play small forward that tells you all you need to know about this franchise because <laughs> My God, Marvin Bagley playing small forward in in the NBA in 2018 is is like the Kings putting a blindfold on and trying to go back in time to 1998 or something like that. I mean, first of all, let's start off with the big thing is that they passed on Luka Doncic, who they could have used. I mean, this this Kings team is not in a position where they can say, you know, we don't we don't need another creator. We don't need a guy like Luka Doncic who's could be a transcendent talent. That that doesn't make sense. Obviously, they could have used Doncic um, extremely well. Um, but the other important thing is that they're going to put Marvin Bagley in a poor situation because Marvin Bagley needs to play alongside a rim protector, which the Kings don't really have. And he needs to play alongside a backcourt mate that can really create quality opportunities for him. And I, and I like De'Aaron Fox, but calling him a great passer or playmaker or creator for others is just not what he does. He can be pretty good on the defensive end. He's electrifying and transition, uh, uber athletic player. But in terms of him creating for others and not creating opportunities where you see an open man and you pass him, but knowing how to create an opportunity where you're a player ahead or you're like two or seconds ahead of the defense where you can pass your teammate into an open shot is what De'Aaron Fox doesn't really have right now. And Marvin Bagley really needs that. And pretty much it comes down to the modern NBA is kind of moving away from players like Marvin Bagley. He's not great at switching. He's, he's worse on it than Jaron Jackson and guys like Mo Bamba. Um, he can't really space the floor very well yet. Um, and he needs to play alongside a rim protector because he's not going to provide you any of that as well. So I, I think there are flaws in Bagley's game that will be exposed in Sacramento. And the fact that they passed on Luka Doncic, who, again, they could have used and, and could be a transcendent talent, is, is all the key reasons why Bagley to the Kings is, is the first pick that I didn't like. I mean, you had me when you said it's Sacramento. <laughs> <laughs> I get you, man. But all right, so I'm going to go with my last one here. And that was Troy Brown, 15 to the Wizards. Um, it just seemed a little surprising to me. I think, you know, 6'7". He has a wingspan slightly over 6'10". Um, he has the size necessary to match up with NBA threes. 
and you know he distributes pretty well. I think he can make like a a very poor man's death lineup with um, offensive firepower from different sources. But um, first of all, I think if Troy Brown is a best fit in a small ball lineup, I'm not sure how often you know the Wizards are going to go to that with Marquise Morris and Martian Gortat still there. Although we're not sure how long Gortat's there with word that he might be seeing the way out. But we'll see that soon. But Brown doesn't exactly stretch the floor. Um, from what I've seen, he's not quite quick enough to hang with real backcourt members, um, especially really good guards. And I'm sorry, in the NBA, especially out in the West and, 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 and some in the East, you're going to play a good guard more often than not. So on the defensive end, you're going to be exploited. On the offensive end, you don't stretch the floor. I mean, John Wall's a, a better shooter, but he still needs some room. And Bradley Beal's good, but offensively, it's not the best fit if you're not knocked down. And those are troubling issues for a player that's been looked at, as I've seen so far, as either a backup to Beal or a portion of small ball units. Um, and that's especially because I thought he came off the board way sooner than he probably should have. Um, he kind of slipped on the radar because he played for a rather disappointing Oregon team, but I don't know. I feel the best player comp to him is Evan Turner, and I mean that both good and bad. Yeah, this is an interesting pick too. I think the the, the best hope for the Wizards is that he can provide some nice defense at the wing position, um, which any team in the NBA could really use. Um, but beside that, I do see your kind of concerns about you know how he fits and what his role is, and this Wizards team is kind of in flux. You know, there are questions about how much you can win with this Wall Beal backcourt pairing, Martian Gortat on the trade block, Otto Porter's contract. You know, he has to take another step this year. He started off strong last year, but kind of faded back into the background as he kind of usually does. Um, and whether that's a factor of Otto Porter himself not improving or John Wall and Bradley Beal kind of putting a stranglehold on his improvement just of their ball-dominant nature. Um, there are so many concerns about this Wizards team that's kind of stuck like 8th seed, 7th seed, 6th seed kind of area. Um that, that I'm not sure Troy Brown is, is that pick that kind of gets you really excited. But, you know, he could turn into a nice player that provides some nice defense, hits a couple of shots occasionally playing off ball. And for the 15th pick, that could turn out. But I do I do share your concerns um, with that pick at 15. Um, and uh, I'll share my final pick I didn't like. Back in, jumping back into the top 10, Colin Sexton to the Cavs is, is one that got a lot of flack. And it's an interesting pick. I, I think it's extremely interesting, again, you know, we talk about all these teams that pass on Michael Porter Jr. And the first thing I should say is that the Cavs front office was in a really, really tough spot when making this pick because obviously they don't know what LeBron's doing. They haven't had really any inclination. And, you know, that can really change. I mean, obviously LeBron James changes any franchise. But LeBron James staying or leaving is just, I mean, if he stays, they're going to be a, a contender. If he leaves, they're going to be terrible pretty much so that that's how that's how much of a change it matters so obviously they're in a tough position drafting at the eighth pick without knowing anything but if LeBron leaves I'm not sure Colin Sexton is the best prospect to build around and again this is where the, the Michael Porter Jr. medical concerns come into play because had he been healthy or maybe had it not been as severe as teams thought that the Cavs taking a swing on him probably would have been the best idea because if LeBron leaves they could have had a potential star player Michael Porter Jr. and if LeBron stays they could have let Michael Porter Jr. rest that first year or whatever and then and then potentially get a star player. But again, I guess those medical concerns scared a lot of teams off, and they must be really dramatic that we obviously don't know about. Um, but listen, with Colin Sexton, I love his competitiveness, and I love his tenacity, and I love his, you know, how good he could be on defense when he's really locked in. But 
he's a ball dominant guard that really can't shoot off the ball. Which again, if LeBron stays, I'm not sure how well he's going to fit in with Colin Sexton, or, or really how well Sexton will fit in and mesh with LeBron, who because LeBron nearly always has the ball in his hand, is creating for others. But Sexton isn't that guy that's going to be playing off ball, running off screens to catch and shoot from beyond the arc. He's a guy that needs the ball in his hands to be at his best. And if LeBron stays, that's just not going to happen that much. And if LeBron leaves, I'm not sure what the team is around Colin Sexton to actually unlock him and give him the potential to actually run the offense and run it well because you you know fairly inefficient shooter um, again a ball dominant guard can't be the is not the best playmaker uh, well, I mean obviously if LeBron leaves I'm not sure what they're going to have around him in terms of if they trade Kevin Love and stuff like that but I I just I get that they were in a tough spot but I don't think they went with the right guy um, at the eighth pick whether LeBron leaves or whether LeBron stays I I agree it, it just seemed a pick that. I get that he's gritty. I get, you know, he's a fighter, he's a scrapper. And as I said, you know, on the draft show, if LeBron leaves, you're going to need a whole lot of that, you know, moving forward. But it's just weird because we're kind of going away from the ball-dominant guard who also can't shoot, you know. And, yeah, he'll take time to develop. He's still young. I guess he'll definitely be throwing the fire if LeBron's gone. But if LeBron is there, then it's such a wonky fit. It, it's, 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 it's just weird. And it's not like – and I guess the Cavs did try to trade it. It's not like you can take him as a prospect and trade him for a blue chip player and, and a veteran that can give you something or much less a young star at the number eight period. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I like him as a person, as a player, not so much as a fit, even less. Exactly. And again, I mean, at the eighth pick, they were in a tough spot, but you know, one of the bridges could have been a better pick. I think I mean, just take, I think it taking the swing on Michael Porter Jr. I think that, and I keep saying, this is probably the third time I've said this podcast that, you know, I first said it for the Mavs Hawks trade. That's going to define this draft. The Sixers Suns trade could also define this draft. But the third thing that could define this draft is the teams that passed up on Michael Porter Jr. Again, I'm this, I'm, I'm not talking, you know, with the assurance that he's going to be a star, but if he realizes his potential, he will be a star. And there's still a decent chance, I think, that you know if he stays healthy, there's a really good chance he could realize that potential. And the teams that pass up on him, again, I mentioned the Clippers that have 12 and 13. I mentioned the Hornets that need star talent. And this Cavs team is another team that you can throw into that mix, along with basically every other ones like the Knicks and you know the Bulls, even though I like their pick. Um, but these teams, Cavs, Hornets, Knicks, Clippers, that didn't take a swing on Michael Porter Jr., if he turns out to be a star, they could really regret it because, again, if LeBron left, Michael Porter Jr. could be that star of the future, again, depending his health. But if LeBron stayed, they could have afforded to rest Porter Jr. and make sure he's healthy and then become a star if LeBron were to leave in subsequent years. So add the Cavs to the mix of the third storyline, um, the three things that can define this draft, Mavs-Hawks trade, Sun-Sixers trade, and teams passing up on Michael Porter Jr. I, 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 I think that, wow. I mean, that pretty much tells the story of it right there. And, and it's going to be interesting to look back on this as, as, soon, as soon as one year. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And one year, then you do like two years, and you do that five-year period, and then ten years from now we're wondering, you know, how the hell did someone pass up on Michael Porter Jr.? Or why did the Sixer, why did the Suns give up a 2021 pick to move up six spots, and now that pick is like top three? Um, so many interesting aspects. Doncic and Trey Young and the Hawks, the Warriors of the East, and how the Mavericks do. And, again, this all – this is all could change depending on you know Mavericks adding a key piece at, in the front court and free agency. 
We, we still got a bunch of other restricted free agents that are young, Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine, stuff like that, that we will oh, have yeah. to analyze um, in our next episode, um, which, again, we're concluding this one now. Um, but we'll be back. We have to figure out the timing because July 1st, I believe, is a Sunday, so that's kind of weird. Um, yeah. But we will definitely be back. We're gonna Maybe we'll figure out a, a unique uh, plan to cover free agency, which will be – July, starting July 1st, basically less than a week from when you guys are listening to this. Um, so again, yeah, this is our draft summary episode. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiro, so you can uh, check out our website, 984FeetReport.com. We had so much great draft content. I mean, I, I, I want to take a couple of seconds here, or minutes really, to, to kind of congratulate our team on how they covered the, the 2018 NBA draft, basically from January on um, you know, we had a, a separate tab on our website and then, you know, in April we launched the draft guide, which is just incredible. The first version is focused on the players. There's a second version focused on the teams that had six slides per team it was incredibly in depth and just so much hard work was put into that. And then we had individual player article profiles. And then, you know, even after the, we had our draft show, which went really well with, with netcast sports. We want to thank them for, for having us on that show as well. Um, and then now with our post draft grades and analysis some Trey young articles, just so much great draft content that will still be on the website for a couple of weeks if people want to digest the content and, and figure out who their team drafted. Um, but just a shout out to our 94 Feet Report team, really he- uh, led by Alex West, but of course other notable writers as well he- contributing to our draft content. Um, so definitely check that out on their website, 94feetreport.com. Check out a project. Corbin, if you want to take a minute to explain the uh, mock, se- mock offseason project that's currently on the site. Oh, man, that was just a massive project. And, and credit to Simon Sheeran Gordon, who really started this on his own site and had been doing it single handedly for two years, which was just crazy to me once we really got into it. Um, basically, it was me, um, Simon Sheeran Gordon, Josh Cornelison and Lucas Gaynor. We all kind of came together. Um, Josh ended up being the coordinator of all the players, more of the player agent. And we started with just going through the draft. We did like a two hour um, um, chat where we basically each of us had 10 teams um, me, Lucas, and Simon and we all took each draft pick for them, you know, based off their fit and what we thought they needed and that was one segment and then we you know, did the second round, kind of worked through that, then we did almost I think it was a four hour uh, Google Hangout chat where we did free agency and it was just this massive oh my gosh, you want to talk about just throwing stuff out, negotiating, coming up with different fits, um, me desperately trying to get LeBron on the Spurs and not realizing it was going to happen. Um, it was just a really fun, really in-depth, really deep project. I'd like to credit to them for even taking me on for that because it was, it was a load of fun to do, but also showed just how much thinking goes into this. And this is really just an exercise, a fun thing for you know the geeks of us here at the 94 Feet Report and hopefully the fans, um, you guys, to really tune into or you all to tune into it and really – you know, see how it went. But it was really insightful, really interesting to see how certain teams might make moves depending on cap situation, um, players that are on the trade block as GMs having those kind of conversations. If you're the Hornets and you want to move Kemba Walker, where would you move him that would be the best fit for your team and another team? And those type of conversations, you know, that really makes up the offseason from from a outward point. But as a geek, as a fan that we are, really looking at what we think the best fit would be in a rational NBA team fit sense. We're not talking about what school they were going into or anything of that sort, but just basketball fit. And that's what made it fun. I really encourage you to look at each of those articles. I think it's four in total. Um, we should have the podcast version of the audio that we did for the the massive four-hour uh, 
free agent spirit, although I don't know if you're going to really want to tune into that, but it was <laughs> it was great. It was just a great project. I'm happy to have been part of it. Yeah, definitely. I had a lot of fun reading it throughout the weekend. All four articles are up on the 94 Feet Report website, uh, 94feetreport.com. We actually made a separate tab um, for 2018 mock offseason just to make it easier for you guys. So check out the 2018 NBA draft tab for our draft coverage. Check out the mock offseason tab for our mock offseason. Um, and stay tuned for what our our free agency coverage will be. I know that the 94 Feet Report as a site, we are planning another live show um, like our draft show on July 1st, um, hitting at midnight to cover all the initial deals. So stay tuned for that and stay tuned for our coverage of free agency on this podcast, 94 Feet Report NBA podcast, of course. Follow me on Twitter at Eric Sparrows, and you can follow the uh, site on Twitter uh, at the 94 Feet Report. And Corbin, you can throw out where uh, people can follow you. All right, so you know uh, Corbin Ford MBA. I'm a, I'm there occasionally. You'll you'll see me 94 Feet Report. Um, I've been doing a lot of talking on that one occasionally. But um, find me on either of those two. I like to start conversation. I actually have to. So um, <laughs> you know, let's let's get some stuff going. Off season's coming. Well, off season's here, but free agency period's coming, and that right there is like Christmas for me. So I'm so excited. I hope you guys are too. All right, guys, we got a lot of great coverage coming for you from free agency, so stay tuned for all the announcements. But, of course, follow us on all our various accounts on Twitter and check out the site at 94feetreport.com. Have a great week. Kind of rest up. It's important to rest up before free agency kicks in on July 1st, <laughs> and we will be definitely be talking to you in one media platform or another uh, next weekend. Take care, guys. All right, y'all.